Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Grievance Room, everybody. I'm Taylor Jedrzak, and I certainly wasn't expecting us to go so long without an episode, but hey, life happens. With me, as always, is Ethan Furness, who, aside from living through a blackout, has been a bit peppier lately. How's it going? Well, I guess that could be considered one of our grievances is just general life grievances. Um, AEP, you're not going to sponsor the show. You know where to find me. But <laughs> started a new job in the middle of all of this. I'm six weeks in, so that's taken a lot of time to adjust to a new schedule. And it has uh, not been easy to sit down and find the time to do this. So I apologize, but happy to be back in the chair. No, I mean, I haven't really been, I haven't really found the time either. It's, it's been a, it's been an interesting month to say the least. And it, it's just, sometimes that happens. Um, in today's episode, which can be heard as part of the waiting for next year and evergreen podcast networks, we're going to ride solo for the first time and dive into the Guardian's recent resurgence, which we're, rumor on the street has made Ethan very happy. I've been so, happy all season. I don't know where you have been. I have been the relentless optimist, and you have been the witness of it. Yeah, no, we're we're in many group chats, and everyone when everyone go, goes goes in on them for whatever reason, Ethan just sits back and says, "Just just give it a little bit more time." And we finally hit that little bit more time here about three weeks ago. And what uh, what's been the biggest difference that you've seen? I think it's really just the kids figuring it out. I know Gerbs has been giving himself a bunch of crap for being the king of cliches on the corner cast the last couple of weeks, which I have unfortunately not been able to partake in. But the kids don't know what they don't know is what he's been saying. And there's a little bit of truth to that. They're the youngest team in baseball by a pretty decent margin. You've got a 23-year-old Andres Jimenez playing at an all-star level. Uh, after a really brutal month of May, Quan has figured it back out and is hitting over 300 in June and is plateauing for the season, which is nice to see. Richie Palacios is suddenly the demigod of pinch hitting. And Oscar Gonzalez, who is a guy I long thought would be another Bobby Bradley type, he's either hitting it out of the park or striking out, came up and had multi-hit games in eight of his first 11 games and didn't hit a home run until like game 15. He drew two walks before it. We, we take those. Yeah, absolutely you do. But <laughs> it's just been a lot of the young guys have really been finding their identity at the plate this season. Uh, Josh Naylor is in that boat. Uh, Owen Miller is also in that group. It's It's been, it's nice to see them all buying into this new system and this offensive identity that the organization is shifting to. And Chris Palenka seems to be doing a really good job of facilitating it. Yeah, my, I, I have, as you well know, I have long been a very, I've kept the Guardians team at a distance because it seems like all they can do is, hurt me for whatever reason. 
whether it's not spend money or get rid of players that you like, like I've disconnected myself over the last couple of seasons. And, you know, I was, I went into this season saying, I don't expect a whole lot, but if, if they prove it to me at some point, then I'll, I'll start paying attention. And I think, you know, since May 30th, that what are, what are they, what is it? 15 of 19 or something. I think we're in that range now. Yeah. They've won eight of their last 10. Yeah. So obviously that they've figured something out and they've, you know, they've gotten my attention and I, I was, I mean, I didn't particularly see it coming because before that they were kind of struggling. They were what down before that Detroit series or before. Yeah. The Detroit series is the last series that they lost, I think. Um, and going into that series, they were 19 and 24. Did I mean, did you see this kind of turnaround coming? That, like at this point in the season? Or do you think it might have come later? I saw this coming, but not to this degree. Um, especially at the start of the season, everything started so topsy-turvy. The team, Cleveland, of all teams, had pitching problems out, out of the gate, which is yeah. unheard of to us. We've been spoiled with incredible pitching our entire lifetimes, honestly. Yeah. And remember remember when you remember when people were trying to convince you that Bieber was washed? Man, I was one of the people <laughs> that was overly concerned about him, but that's just because I knew what kind of talent he was, but watching yeah. him reinvent himself on the fly has been something completely different. But pitching problems out of the gate, a white hot offense putting up like 11 runs a game or something through the first couple of weeks of the season because they were either blowing the doors off of teams or not scoring at all. And yeah, that was weird. It, it was a bizarre start. And then the offense came crashing down as you kind of expected it to, maybe not to the degree that it did. And then the pitching started to figure it out. And now that the offense is starting to find a rhythm and some consistency, this is what we've been long expecting this team to be is nuisances at the dish, good plate appearances, long at bats, draw walks, do not strike out. They hardly do. It's incredible. I think they're the lowest K percentage in the league as a team. It's absolutely that, that, that's Actually, I was about to ask that you that question because you are n- neck deep in stats most of the time. Figured figured you might know that one. I'm going <laughs> to choose they... to not take that as shade, but the last I looked, I believe they were bottom of the league, or top of the league, rather, in team strikeout percentage. Um, so... This was the identity that was advertised to us uh, preseason when the corner cast sat down with Zach Meisel of The Athletic. It was just be patient. There's going to be a lot of guys revolving in and out. They're going to find who works and who doesn't. And this was eventually going to be the result. Now, did I see them ripping off 15 of 19? No. Did I see them being above 500? Yeah, probably about this point. I, I think getting close to that point or at least just treading water. Six games over at this point? Probably not. Uh, you playing all in the a series. Outs, it, it's even more impressive. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's even more impressive considering all the rainouts that really screwed with their rhythm leading yeah. up to this stretch. Um, I think they had six rainouts or something ridiculous. I mean, they're one game behind the Twins in the division and have two fewer losses than them because they've played six or seven fewer games. So, yeah. I mean, to, they, they're going into a series right now where they could come out in first place heading into the last week of June 
And I'm not sure that that's where anyone thought they'd be. Not even them, really. No, and they have eight games against the Twins in their next three or four series. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, the, I see a five-game series next week. Yeah, there's a MLB lockout scheduled doubleheader in there as part of that five-game series uh, in the homestand coming up at Progressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, on a Tuesday, no less. <laughs> just what? Just how we drew it up. Doubleheader Tuesday. Yeah. Did I see them, you know, possibly contending for the division at this point in the season nearing the All-Star break? Absolutely not. Did I see them doing that with the Twins? No, also absolutely not. I thought for sure this would be the White Sox up there, but they have their own Tony La Russa fuel problems to sort out. They're a, they're a disaster. <laughs> That's being kind, but yeah, we can't really be too rude. <laughs> Um, what, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it, but like, what do you think's kind of been the catalyst for this so far? It always comes back to Jose and maybe not always for the reasons that you would think. Obviously he's, I think he's temporarily lost the league lead in RBIs after taking a couple of games off. I think, uh, Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets has that currently, but people pitch to Alonzo a lot more than they pitch to Jose. So I still think the pace that he's on and what he's doing is absolutely phenomenal. But even when he's not on the field, if anybody caught that broadcast Sunday afternoon in Chavez Ravine, during the eighth inning, when Palacios went up there and tied the game with a pinch hit RBI double, and Ahmed was at the dish and Straw was on base and through all of that, Jose's at the top of the dugout. He's on the railing. He's yelling at guys. He's supposedly got a bruised thumb, but he's smacking the railing. He's yelling at everybody. <laughs> and he gets everybody fired up constantly. And I was fired up watching that game at home. When Palacios hit that RBI double, I watched Jose sprint into the locker room on what was supposed to be a day off, put on his uniform and spikes, and come running out and wait for a chance to pinch hit in the ninth. He was <laughs> screaming from the top of the dugout as Ernie Clement was walking up to take that at-bat with the bases loaded. He wanted it. So I think there's a lot of really positive locker room energy knowing that he's there for a long time. And you're not going to find a much more passionate and knowledgeable guy than Jose Ramirez as a 22, 23, 24-year-old guy coming up and learning to play the game. You don't want to let a guy like him down. You want to play your best for him. So these guys are not only buying into the system that Cleveland's pushing, but they have a damn good leader. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely definitely a big part of this offseason that did, that kept me at least on board was getting here. Because I'm, I'm not necessarily like you where baseball is like my big thing. I, I'll watch it. I enjoy it. But like if the, Indi- if the Guardians, I almost did it. I think I did do it, but if the Guardians had not signed him or traded him, I, I'd i be completely checked out, and I don't think you'd be far behind. I'll be honest, that would have been a near fatal blow to me, too. Not to the point where I'd be out, but I would have been... This This season would be a lot harder to sit here and and do these podcasts and and try to write as inconsistent as I've been, but try to come up with things to write about. Because what what do you say at that point? I mean, I don't know. I think all things being equal, the Quan thing probably happens. Naylor probably happens. 
don't know about Andres. I think a lot of these guys are really learning from Jose on the fly. So it's hard to really say, but yeah, what 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 are you right about? You know, hey, Quan's busting out. Would have been great to have a three hole hitter behind him. Yeah, <laughs> like at some point, at some point, the team's got to do something to keep the fans invested, and I, they finally, I think, did that this off season after what two two off seasons off seasons in a row where they kind of just let guys walk and kind of filled gaps and yeah, and that guys. was. That was kind of to be expected. I mean, the farm system's absolutely stacked, and there's still guys waiting to get their chance this season. But I, I think a lot of the headache that people have been bemoaning the Dolan family for the last several seasons, specifically since signing and then trading Edwin. Um, yeah, there's a new minority owner in town who owns 30% of the franchise now, and David Blitzer. And I, frankly, he owns like 30% of the sporting world at this point, based on the list of teams that he's invested in. But, you know, that, that's a chunk of change that the team just hasn't had since the Sherman group left and bought the Kansas City Royals in 2019. I don't think yeah. that really got enough attention. Yeah, maybe the team was turning a profit from ticket sales and concessions and all of that, but they were still down a 30% investor in the organization, the Dolans have never been the people to front the money. They're just the brains of the operation. Yeah. They've been relying on those minority owners to get contributions and to help out. And Sherman was a big part of signing Edwin Encarnacion to, at the time, the richest contract in team history, three years, $60 million, $20 million a year. So when that money up and left... That seems so, that seems so quaint. It does. I, by baseball standards, that's even low, and it's still... I mean, Jose got more than double that. And you're like, Judge is going to get $330 million this offseason. <laughs> like, and Jose might beat him for an MVP when it's all said and done. We don't know yet. They're in one yeah. hell of a race. But Yeah. The Yankees are on fire. Yeah. But th- it's one of those things where, like, I said this to somebody this week. You can't look at the contract that Jose Ramirez signed through the lens of bad ownership or ownership being cheap and Jose taking a discount. You just have to appreciate that there was a guy who loved this city so much, didn't care that it was a small market, didn't want to play in the bright lights of LA or the noisy streets of New York, wanted to be here. You just can't put that negativity on ownership. You just have to accept it and enjoy the ride, man. He's going to be here for a while. Yeah, I mean he's he's here through what his age thirty five or six season right I now. Be, I think he'll turn thirty five just as that this new deal is uh, expiring. Yeah, so you've basically got the the prime of his career all the way all the way from the beginning to the end, and you know at that point maybe you can resign him to keep him there forever, and he oh. becomes a statue with his helmet about 10, twenty feet behind it. God, that would be amazing. Could you imagine if they did it and then the, the helmet's just its own statue 15 feet behind him on the ground, not even attached, <laughs> it's just cemented. I, I'll commission that myself, man, and it absolutely has to happen. And I want inscribed on it Zach Meisel's final, for his career, Jose Ramirez helmet counter. Oh, my God. I wonder what that is at right now. I think we need to send a letter to the front office. <laughs> and I think we need to get a Gerbs to text Zach because I think we just stumbled upon a brilliant idea. 
<laughs> Zach, if you're listening, you need to stay at the athletic for a few more years, buddy. We need influence. <laughs> Just a little bit. Need somebody close to the team. Yeah. Um in in the last like three weeks, I would say that the season outlook has cha- changed for a lot of people. What what do you what do you what do you, what's how has it kind of changed for you? That's a hard question. I mean, did you didn't really come into the season expecting playoffs? You expected maybe around five hundred, but I, I've said from the start this season that I expected above five hundred. I didn't expect ninety wins, but this was a team that was eighty and eighty-two last season. With well, how Cal, oh. Cal, Cal Quantrill was your only pitcher. I mean, they so, they they spent most of the summer just injured to hell and back. Yeah, I, I mean, Zach, please, Zach, lost a fight with a chair. I mean, uh, injured himself <laughs> taking his jersey off. Uh, Savale, who was your best pitcher for large stretches of the season last year, missed a big chunk of time. Really happy Quantrill developed into what he did, and McKenzie was fine down the stretch and is blossoming into his own this season. But you didn't have that for large parts of last year. And the big gripe about last year was the offense around Jose Ramirez. So I, I expected the the offense to kind of improve this year, not in the way that it had. There were hopes that they were going to unload some of this massive prospect wealth and go get themselves a slugger, all a Matt Olson of the Braves. Well, now you, you know, might be looking to that in looking at that this off season because now you have some proven products on the field, and that's now, a big part of this point too. Is that you know, the season outlook was let's figure out who's part of the future and who's not. Let's get as many of these prospects as we can at bats at the bigs, see who's, you know, who, who, who does the team love? Who's a smoke show, but another team's in love with that you can get something for. Right. And figure out what it's going to be. So it's, it's good and bad because the prospects that you've called up have played extremely well. Yeah, but as these guys start to lock up these roles, where are you going to find space for the rest of them? Yeah, at some point you got to trade guys for pieces that can help you now. Nearly sight unseen too, because you've got Nolan Jones and Tyler Freeman hanging out down here in Columbus with me, who are probably the next two to get a chance should something happen. But if everybody stays healthy and everybody keeps playing the way that they are, you might just have to unload one of those guys without really knowing what you've got at the major league level and hope, yeah. you know, hey, Nolan Jones is Cleveland's fifth-ranked prospect. He's a top 100 guy. Take a chance on him. Yeah. I mean, you'd get something decent for that. Probably. He's looks, He's only played about eight games since he came back, and it is nice to see him transitioning fully to right field because there was nowhere to stick him at third base, obviously. Um, yeah, for obvious Jose Ramirez-related reasons. Yeah, so if he can, he, he's changed his swing. He's got a new looking batting stance. I saw uh, Justin Lotta of Guardians Baseball Insider was pointing out, and uh, it's really getting his hands to the ball quicker. And hopefully that helps cut back on his strikeout problem. He's a guy who has amazing patience and has great game power. His issue has always just been the strikeout. But yeah. You got to see him at the major league level. Yeah, I mean, you, you can. You can do a lot in AAA, but it doesn't really matter until you get to the show. Yep. Um, something something that my dad brought up earlier today when I was talking to him about this this stretch because I kind of knew we were going to address this today, and I am not as well versed in baseball as 
how much impact some of the players that we traded Kluber and Clevenger for are having? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I cannot thank San Diego enough for what they've done for this franchise, to be completely honest. Um, I, I'll start with the, the Kluber trade, and I, I was so bitter at the time of that trade because Kluber was he was the latest in a long line of guys to get traded away. Yeah, he After hitting the Cy Young. Yeah, he, two, twice in Cleveland. Yeah, been traded away after an injury plague season. I get it. He was aging. You know, he was a he was a late bloomer anyhow. I think he was twenty seven or twenty eight when he debuted, and then yeah, did what he did over six years in the American League. It was incredible. So there was that bitterness of you know, in my mind, it was Cliff Lee all over again, and CeCe's a bad yeah. you know the, those guys. So it it hurt, but man, is Clase something? I. Yeah. I did not see a 20-year-old with a 102-mile-an-hour cutter coming in and developing command and then adding a, oh, by the way, he's got a 90-mile-an-hour slider. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy throwing DeGrom levels of heat as your closer now. Yeah. Which is insane to me. And to do it as consistently as he does, and even even the season, he hasn't really had the strikeout pitch going for him. I, I think it was three consecutive games while he was out on the West Coast. He closed a game with a double play ball. Yeah, he beat, the Rockies, he beat the Rockies three straight nights on double play balls. I remember that. In, in and of itself, that's an incredibly bizarre stat. But yeah. for it to be the same pitcher three nights in a row... You know, you're, you're talking about a guy with incredible wipeout pitches, and here he is inducing ground balls after letting a guy on. Yeah. I mean, he's got 15 saves to this point in the season already. Last year he had 24. So. They were still doing the whole, is it going to be Classe? Is it going to be Karen Check for a little while before the sticky stuff went away? And It yeah, is definitely you, his job, though. Speaking of Karen Check, are you excited to see him come back soon? Frankly, no. I know he's approaching the end of his uh, technical rehab stint down in Columbus. He hasn't exactly been impressive or down there. He still has the velocity. The command is still an issue. Um, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for him to get back in the good graces, but uh, I don't see him coming back up and taking a spot from anybody in the bullpen even shaw frankly the the team you know it's it's june 20th we're recording this the team demoted nick sandlin today and i don't think karen Shack would be an improvement over sandlin so i i don't think there's a spot for him at the moment yeah i mean you'd think that maybe yeah at that point maybe he becomes someone you trade 
Um, but if there was any pitching staff that was going to pitching organizational pitching staff that was going to fix a guy, it's going to be Cleveland. So, there's, yeah, there's maybe four of those in baseball. You're talking about Cleveland, the Dodgers, the Rays, and for whatever reason, the Yankees are incredibly good with throwaway pitchers. Clay Holmes, Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyon. I don't know what they're doing over there with rejects, but they're killing it. Yeah, especially in a park that is not friendly to pitchers. No, you're, you're talking about a, port, a park that people say isn't even a big league park because of the, the short porch and right field. So for them to do what they do and get these ridiculous results, I don't know if Clay Holmes was throwing 98 when he was with Pittsburgh, but now he's out of the Yankees bullpen. He looks like a, an absolute monster. <laughs> Maybe he just needed to leave PNC Park. The place might be cursed. We don't know. It might be. Well, O'Neill Cruz is here to break that. <laughs> um, what do you, do you think that ultimately this team is going to stay in contention the rest of the season? Well, do we want to talk about San Diego's trade first, or do we want to go right into that? No, we can go. We can go into San Diego's trade. Okay, because San Diego has uh, gave us everything, basically. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we have the team has a starting first baseman. They have a definitive number three starter and innings eater. I, I think Gabriel Arias too, who's one of the top shortstop prospects. Yeah, Arias yeah. came over from San Diego in that trade. I because they got both of them, and so they got Arias and Jimenez in such quick succession for for guys that were part of the team that I get them backwards sometimes. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Josh Naylor. What else can you say about him? He's he's blossoming on the fly in front of us too. A lefty first baseman. Defense still leaves a bit to be desired. He's had some gaffes this season where I have found myself saying, Naylor, what are you doing? Uh, but Cal Quantrill uh, has my absolute uh, bona fide faith, man. I, I yell at my friends all the time who text me and they're just like, Quantrill is bad. And I'm like, he's, you know what he is. He's going to step out on the field. He's going to throw 100 pitches over six innings and allow three earned runs. That's it. That's all he does. And he got shelled a little bit in Los Angeles, but every pitcher has a bad outing. But that's just what Cal is. I have a, yeah, if a you could pick here. a team, if you could pick a team to get shelled by, the Dodgers is a pretty good one. That was my response too. I was like, "It's the Dodgers. What did you have to face? It wasn't the Orioles out there." But I mean, they're only paying what, like three hundred something million dollars for their lineup. <laughs> I think it's six hundred million. Got to pay those out like taxes. No, yeah, uh, no, it's it's around the three hundred. It's something obscene. Sure. Yeah, with more money that needs to be shelled out with some of their young guys. Yeah, um, but I mean, Cal, I've got a bet with Mitch, who is on the corner cast with me on the site that. By the end of the season, if he stays healthy, I forget where we set the exact number of starts. I'm going to say if he gets at least 25 starts, I'm hoping he gets the full season, doesn't miss anything. Cal's going to get at least 10 wins with an ERA 3.7 or better. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, he's a little bit over that right now with the ERA after getting shelled in LA, but he's four and four yeah. before the All Star break. So he's. 
Yeah, I, and the Dodgers did the exact same thing with Tyler Anderson, who going to go out there, throw 100 pitches over six innings and get you three earned runs. The Dodgers looked at him and said, well, we can score six a game. You're going to win 20 games this year. <laughs> and that's kind of what it looks like. I mean, the last time I looked at Tyler Anderson, we're going to have some fun here with a, a former Pittsburgh Pirate. What are his fun with like? pirates? Ooh, that might not be such a fun uh, segment. <laughs> We're not going to do that. Thirty-two-year-old <laughs> Tyler Anderson this season with the Los Angeles Dodgers is eight and zero in ten starts, sixty-seven innings pitched, and um, two point eight two ERA. Yeah, six innings, three doing earned. the job, doing the yep. job. 8-0 because he's got the Dodgers run support. So that's all you need with a guy like Cal. He, you know he's going to give up three, go score four, you win. Yep. Because your bullpen, unless Brian Shaw has a meltdown, uh, should should keep you under under four. That, that was an A-plus tease. We'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> um, actually, let's just get to it now. What do you think is going to prevent this team from being able to maintain this kind of resurgence it's still going to be the offensive inconsistencies I, I think what's most surprising about this stretch where they've won 15 of 19 is that jose was playing with a bruce thumb he didn't play the last two games you split those um miles straw who i've long been a proponent of this season of being the you know, the engine that gets this offense going as a, a high on base guy out of that leadoff spot has been absolutely abysmal since May 1st. Mm -hmm. I think he left the March, April uh, part of the season hitting right around 300. He was drawing all kinds of walks. He was doing his job. He was stealing bases every game. And that's what you expected. And supplementing that with Stephen Kwan's emergence right behind him, there was a, a couple week stretch where the Guardians top three was one of the deadliest trios to face to start a game in baseball. Because you had to get those guys out to not pitch to Jose, which has been team's strategy so far. But Straw, yeah. since May 1st, has been on an absolute downslide. His average has tanked to around 200. But since May 1st, Straw is hitting 158 with an on-base percentage of 250. So he's still walking 11% of the time during the stretch. Uh, he's hit five doubles. He's got a WRC plus of 33, which we love this stat on the corner cast. Uh, basically, Explain we did run three five. <laughs> weighted runs created plus is a really simple stat. It's it's basically how much more you contribute than the replacement level player. So the average is 100, and for each point over 100, you are one point better or one percentage better than the average MLB player, right? Straw's WRC plus since May 1st is 33 he is 67 points worse than your average replacement level player right now. Not good. Not not good, no. Um, he's making a lot of soft contact. It's within his career norms, but based on his numbers from 2021, 
the jump in medium and soft contact is a little bit alarming, and it's led to a really bad batting average on balls in play, which is basically luck for hitters. Um, yeah. Anything around 300 is about average. Anything too far one way or the other is usually a sign for regression, whether positive or negative. Straws in the stretch is around 185. So it suggests massive positive regression from here. But for just a ridiculous amount of time now, he's been so bad. Almost two months. Almost two months. Right, and for a guy with absolutely no power, you don't get that slump-busting home run. For Straw, it's going to need to be like a three-for-four day, you know, two singles and a double off the wall or something. Yeah. Just needs to see it, like like a three-point shooter that hasn't hit one in a while. Just needs to see it. Which is so funny because he's seeing it well enough to draw walks. He just can't get the barrel of the bat to the ball. Yeah. I mean, you got to think that would come, that would come around because he's not been a bad player since they got him. No, and what's been so bizarre this season, and I think by the end of it, it's going to be a very interesting piece for somebody to to write, is that the extreme lows that this team has experienced on the individual basis are among the most extreme. You know, you talk about. Trout was making headlines about the world was ending because he went 0 for 23. Straw's 0 for the last two months. Even with Sumps <laughs> and baseball, they don't typically last that long. I mean, no, they don't. Fran Meal's trip to the IL was pretty much for a bruised ego at this point because he was playing so poorly they had to let him get his head right. Yeah. And, he, you know, a similar trip. Uh, he uh, should have had a meeting with medical staff today and should be activated for this series in Minneapolis. They may or may not already be up there. Uh, he and Aaron Savale are both supposed to be back uh, starting tomorrow. Nice. Um, nice. But if anything is going to derail this off or this team from you know continuing to do what they're do- doing, it's it's going to be these ridiculous highs and lows. Um. The last three weeks in this stretch has been more of what you would expect of a, of a middle ground for this offense, scoring a relatively normal amount of runs a game, not, you know, 10, 12 every other time we're getting shut out. Yeah. So they need to keep getting key contributions from unlikely sources. Your Stephen Kwan's, your Andres Jimenez's, uh, Oscar Gonzalez, Richie Palacios, all of those guys need to continue to keep it up and, that's going to be the big question mark the rest of the way is how sustainable are the young guys? Are they going to keep figuring it out or is the league going to adjust to them? And are they going to be able to adjust to that? Yeah. I mean, in the month of June, they've only scored two or fewer runs twice. They were both in LA and one of them was a win. You definitely take those. Yeah. So, you know, the offense certainly isn't the problem. The pitching has been mostly fine aside from whatever happened in Oakland that day. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, there's certainly a lot of reason for optimism going forward. Um, you got some, you got Minnesota, Boston, Minnesota. That's your next, what, what is that? 11 games. Is Boston still bad? I don't remember. I think they're, I think they're starting to figure it out. Um, they're thirty six and thirty one, so in a in a pretty similar boat to Cleveland. Um, they also had a pretty rough start. They definitely were not that good about two months ago. 
but it seems like they found some consistency. They're six and four in their last ten. Yeah. So not I mean, pushovers. Te- teams in similar spots. Uh, and yeah. then you get the Yankees after that. So be ready yeah. for that behemoth. And don't, let, let's not get swept again. Please, for the love of God. Also, please, anyone in the outfield, don't throw things. We don't need that. Yeah, Cleveland, be better. You know better. <laughs> I know the temptation is going to be there. Don't do it. No, you're better than that. Do not stoop to their level. Um, but I think you have a pretty, pretty topical grievance for things that can prevent this team from staying on the up and up. So I'm going to let you get into that one. What, what do you got for grievance today? I'm going to preface this with I was one of his biggest defenders even after the World Series because he had some incredible years in Cleveland. But Terry Francona, I'm begging you. I know he has a milestone coming up. But please let the last of Tito's boys go. Brian Shaw does not need to be here any longer and it is maddening that you used him three games in a row in Colorado you could not have telegraphed him loading the bases without recording an out any better than he actually went out there and did it himself it was it was master class and bad and yet he's the winning pitcher in two of those games (laughs) This is why wins aren't everything because they're not all created equal. No, that, that was a really ugly outing. Yeah, a couple, he, he's a second game. He's outperforming his peripherals. He's been bailed out by the offense more times than one, more than once this season. In his age thirty four season, I, I understand that you know, like Lorenzo Cain, the Brewers waiting to cut him till he made his ten years of service time, so he gets his fully vested pension. I know he's got the all-time relief appearance with the franchise coming up. Just let it go. Get him I to that just... landmark and then DFA, I guess. I don't know. Well, the problem being is that he's st- <laughs> he'd still be here into probably August. <laughs> I think he's got to get to 70-some-odd appearances, and he's at 28. Ah. So he would be yeah. here for almost the entire season. And I, I know... Francona loves his workhorse guys, but you've got one in Eli Morgan who's filling that that role for you. And you just got to let him hand off the reins. Yeah. I mean, I understand definitely why they're doing that, but at some point, it's going to cost you game upon game upon game. I mean, how many games would you say Brian Shaw has cost them already this season? Is it probably two or three? I would say it's in that ballpark. I think he's magically been bailed out by the offense more somehow, considering he's three and Oh, I don't think that record is deserved at all, but he's been not that he was ever great, but he's been much more coin toss with which Brian Shaw you're going to get. He's either all-star relief pitcher, Brian Shaw, or he looks like he's never yeah, he looks like he's never pitched in the bigs. And there's not any middle ground with him this season. 
Remember Joe Borowski? <laughs> Is this just going to become the segment where we name terrible Cleveland pitchers <laughs> that gave me heart palpitations? Because um, Chris Perez, I'm thinking about you. Um, He's not thinking about you. He's thinking about where his dog's going to get weed. <laughs> Dude, where's my dog? God, Chris Perez drove me absolutely insane. We This could be a segment in and of itself. Cleveland relief pitchers that just gave me heart palpitations. Oh, dear God. <laughs> um. I mean, I kind of agree on that. I was surprised when they brought Shaw back. Wasn't he mostly, like, he was with us last year, but they didn't re-sign him after the season, and then they brought him in late. Yeah, not really sure. Yeah, not really sure what was going on with that, if the team maybe expected to sign somebody or um, expected to land somebody in a trade. But during spring training, you heard the whole, you know, Terry Francona called him and – like I've been staying ready, and Terry was like, well, "I was waiting for you to call," and they gave him the contract. I think they massively overpaid him, um, but yeah, I mean, he he pitched 81 games for the team last year with a, a 3.49 ERA. Somehow, again, massively not terrible, know, not terrible, but outperformed his peripherals, and it, it's a it's a steady decline. You know, it's 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 not better this year and it's not going to get better. He's put up a negative F war each of the last four seasons. So he's definitely not trending in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, that just happens to guys that are mildly inconsistent when they're at their best. I mean, he was at his best in 16 and 17 and he was still maddeningly inconsistent. He He would get the job done. He would get the job done more times than not, but who boy. Yeah. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Press Box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access. Yeah, I mean, his best season was in 2017, and he somehow put up one and a half FWAR. Uh, did not actually exceed his peripherals by that much. He was a legitimate all star that year. But yeah, he, yeah. he hasn't been that guy since. And frankly, he wasn't that guy before. No, he lined it up for one year, and that's fine. Some he turned it into it. a really nice contract with the Rockies, and now he's back with us. Yep. Um, see here that you might also have a second grievance on, on this topic. It's going to sound not as bad, considering Cleveland just faced three lefties in Los Angeles. But for the love of God, you have an all-star second baseman. Please stop platooning him against left-handed pitching. (laughs) I get it. His career numbers against lefties are not great in the minors, and they're not perfect at the majors either. But Andres Jimenez is 23 years old. He's hitting over 300. And I think even in that series in L.A., he was 4 for 11 or 4 for 12 with three lefties starting. You take that. 
you have to realize that at some point, even if the lefty's on the mound, his glove is valuable in the field. And the likelihood of facing a lefty for the entirety of the game is slim. You know, if you chase the starter in five innings, the chances of somebody parading three more lefties out of the bullpen out there is slim to none. Mm-hmm. So it's not like every at-bat in a game is going to be against a lefty, but he's also never going to learn to hit lefties if you don't give him those opportunities as a 23-year-old. Yeah. We call him Everyday Andres at the site, and you can't have that nickname if you're platooned against lefties. <laughs> Who's the shortstop they start against lefties? So they put they keep a med at shortstop pretty much full time now that Oscar came up and locked up right field. So you have a, a consistent outfield with Quan and left, Straw in center, uh, Gonzalez in right, and Palacios taking more of that fourth outfielder role from Ricardo each and every week. So it comes down to you either DH Jose and put Ernie Clement at third base or they're doing Josh Naylor at first and Owen Miller at second instead of DHing Naylor and Miller at first. And Miller's fine. He's an average defensive second baseman, but you know I don't know if his bat is more valuable than Andres. When it yeah. comes down to it at the end of the day, you know, you've got a 23-year-old hitting over 300 who Yeah, I mean when you when you have that kind of that kind of player hitting hitting that well, I, I think you got to keep him in. Yeah, and he's you know, we, we've reached a point in the season now where I, I think you can say what Andres is doing is, is sustainable because he's had yeah. relatively normal dips and rises. He's not doing anything out of the ordinary. This just seems to be who he is this season. And you got to capitalize and put your best players out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said earlier, this is a season to find out what you got and uh, like, if you got you got to find out if Andres is going to be able to hit against these guys. He's got time to develop it, but you need to get him out there. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, you, you face a righty more often than not. He's got a bunch of starts and a bunch of games under his belt. He's played 53 games this season. He's hitting 302, 140 WRC plus, and he's put up two full F4 already. That's the kind of production that you don't want in a platoon. That is an everyday player. And that's why he has the nickname Everyday Andres. <laughs> Even when he's not everyday. Well, that's why I'm trying to call him All-Star Andres now, because that's what he should be. <laughs> Speaking that into existence, vote for Andres. Um, well, we've been going at this for 45 minutes now, I think. It's time for me to get my grievance off my chest. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not necessarily Cleveland related, but as I am, I've grown up in Charlotte and I have adopted some of these teams down here as, you know, second teams and all that. And, you know, why, 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 why Kenny Atkinson going to leave like that? <laughs> I mean, you agree to be the coach of the Hornets. You probably conduct some of the draft pre-draft workouts. You go back to the finals and then you decide to stay. And now it it really kind of screws over the Hornets because they are back to searching for a coach five days before the draft. What do you even do? And why would you leave? You finally found some pieces. LaMelo Ball is something. 
so, so is uh, Miles Bridges. Like, yeah, you got players. You, we watched what they there. did to the Cavs in in the playing tournament. Yeah, I mean it's well, they actually didn't play in the playing tournament. Um, they the Hornets oh, the lost. To the, yeah, the Hornets lost to the Hawks, and then the Hawks beat the um, Cavs. But it was it, the, the the Hornets are a team that's on the rise, and they hired Atkinson because he was going to be a um he he's renowned in the league for his developmental abilities, and the Hornets got a young team, and he just decided to up and leave. Yeah. It just you know there's nothing you can do about it. Um, doesn't make it feel any better though, like. It's, it just sucks, really. Well, I mean, at this point, the rest of the league's conducted it, its coaching searches, and they have guys who are ready to sit down for the draft on Friday. So, you know, all, all you can do is say, "Can I offer you a, a David Blatt in these trying times?" <laughs> Gently used. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, free agency doesn't. Free agency is about two weeks away, and they don't have a coach right now. I mean, they'll have a coach by free agency. There's, there's no doubt. But do you think they could maybe convince a freshly hired Luke Walton to head out of Cleveland and go down at least for a year, and kind of bridge the know. gap until they can conduct a proper coaching search? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to end up doing because I really don't know who else is out there it's on the market be, right now. It's going to be real funny if MJ decides to throw a whole bunch of money at Shashevsky. <laughs> Man, that would be I think Krzyzewski's done. I think he's done, but that would be that would be interesting. Yeah. In Krzyzewski's defense, he'd finally be able to pay his players legally. <laughs> legally. Maybe Zion would come to uh, to <laughs> come to Charlotte. That'd be that'd be moderately hilarious. <laughs> I mean we need to get him away from the beignets anyway. <laughs> yeah. Man. <laughs> two two grievance rooms, two basketball discussions, two Zion Williamson eating too much jokes. We are on it. <laughs> we got him for days, I guess. Um <laughs> what speaking of the draft, what I mean, how much have you kind of looked into it? What do you kind of want to see the Cavs do? I don't know enough about the guys coming out. Um, you know, the NBA draft is something that's always eluded me. You know, as the baseball guy, the the prospect development process is so much more of a long game. And as also an NFL fan, you kind of expect guys to come up and participate immediately. So the NBA is this weird middle ground that I don't really fully understand. You're either grasping 19 year or you're either drafting 19 year olds like Darius and waiting three years for them to turn into what they do. But there's a ton of risk in that to me, or, yeah. you know, you're taking shots at 22, 23 year old international prospects who have played in a professional league for a little bit and might be something all the uh, Luka Doncic, but not all of them turn into something. So you know, I, I could sit here and I could say, like, yeah, you know, I live in Columbus. I've heard enough about Malachi Branham the last year. But 
He's what? 19? He, he's, he should be on the board right when the Cavs are going to pick. So I, I see his name, and I'm just going to throw out a last name because I'm not even going to try and pronounce the first name, but there's a Dang in the draft, and it's between Malachi and, and Dang that I see probably the two most connected to Cavs chatter. Um, you know, whether I'm just scrolling Twitter or I'm in the Locked On Cavs podcast or the Chase Down, those seem to be names that guys are relatively consistently linking to the Cavs. But I don't know enough about this prospect pool or who's going to be available when and where. Um, and they even have the pieces to potentially even move up if somebody, you know, really strikes their fancy. Yeah, and I mean, there's also been the rumors that they, they're looking to trade down if someone's going to give them a first-round pick for it. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're in kind of a weird place in the draft. Um, this has been said to be a kind of a – not a very top-heavy draft. There's good players, but there's no superstars. There's not an Evan Mobley. There's not a uh, a, a Cade, Cade Williamson. They're, they're – Kate Cunningham. There, there just isn't that kind of guy this year. I mean, there's going to be guys that make a difference for teams, but I, I just don't – you just don't know what you're going to get at 14. It's kind of like the draft that the uh, that the Cavs won the lottery a few years back and got Anthony Bennett. <laughs> and, you know, a, a lanky dude from Greece went 15th. Can we – can we do retroactive grievance room podcasts for events that have happened in our life? I don't know. Because I, I think we could do an hour on that alone. I mean, you could probably do three hours on mini acta. So, okay. Listen. <laughs> yes, but for different reasons. <laughs> those, those were rough times. Those were, in fact, rough times, but Manny Acta got us Terry Francona, so it would have a happy ending. Not yeah. you, Robert Kraft. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... Going going too far back would, would definitely... We'd open up some wormholes that we don't necessarily want to crawl down into. I don't know, man. I'll never forget that night and hearing Anthony Bennett's name calling called and just looking around at the people around me and saying, who? <laughs> who that? I had legitimately never heard of him before his name was called. I, I honestly wasn't really paying attention at that point. <laughs> it was, that, that whole thing was bad. It worked out though, in the end. We're going to focus on where they are now because you have <laughs> bona fide stars and you got to figure out what you're doing with Colin Sexton and if he's going to be a part of this or if he's going to fetch you, you know, another player who's going to fit in and fill a need. I mean, I, I think Sexton can still fill a need. It's just a matter of if, if he's going to come back healthy and accept a different role because I don't think he's going to be a point guard anymore necessarily. No. I think Darius has pretty much locked that up. Yeah. But Colin Sexton, the shooting guard, probably isn't that bad of a player. Just no. take the dollar adjustment to that role. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see. We only got about two weeks to figure that out. And I'm sure I'm sure we'll we'll hear a lot about it in the various discords that we are in. Um 
think that that pretty that, that pretty much covers everything that we wanted to talk about tonight. I I know there's going to be people who say, well, the uh, the elephant in the room was not addressed. Uh, we're working on that. We're 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 working on something for that. So just stay tuned. I think if we can get everything lined up, we're we're going to have a a uh, a Browns. Brown's grievance, Brown centric grievance room here relatively soon. Um, I know Ethan's got some thoughts. I know I've got some thoughts. No, everyone's got some thoughts. They're not necessarily good thoughts, but you know, that's, that's what these, these airing of grievances is for. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tackle the Deshaun Watson thing at some point, but um, you got anything else you want to add, Ethan? No comment. <laughs> oh, not just about that, about everything that we talked about in general. Uh, go Guardians. They're exciting as hell to watch. Uh, and if you haven't been paying attention, go watch a game. The kids are all right. Are you talking to me specifically? <laughs> no, actually, I, I was going to say, when you brought it up earlier, this is the, the season that I've gotten the most Guardians-related text messages from you. <laughs> There's been a nice solid stretch during the, some of these day games that they've had where I'll be at work and I'm not even able to watch the game and I'll get a text from Taylor that says, hey, somebody's doing something. <laughs> I don't even know what somebody's to, doing. Easier for me to watch games when I'm working from home and can just kind of put it on. Downside of me moving into the office. I do not have that freedom anymore. <laughs> well, we, we've talked your off for about an hour now, so we're going to head out. Um, if you're still listening, hello. Hi, thank you for making it this far. Hi, mom. Um, for Ethan Furness, I am Taylor Jedrzejczak, and this has been the Grievance Room. Thanks. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.